And it is my joy to introduce our speaker today, a man that we all love and adore, our very own Patrick of God. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. <clears throat> All right. Well, here we are once again. Um, we're going to sing a song, and the words will be up on the screen behind me if you'd like to join me in that. Continue to warm, warm the room in the uh, vibrancy of spirit. If you'd like to stand and sing with me, that's uh, quite all right. And if not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear Our spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room. So I invite you to know with me in this moment, in the remembrance of that one life, that one presence, that, that, that power for good that animates all of life. And so what I know in this moment is I recognize that, I claim that vibration of the Most High as my own experience. So we come together in the, the power of the swarm this day and warming this environment with that potency of that spiritual vibration and so I know that each time we dip into that we are shifted and changed and transformed and so my knowing and my affirming for myself and I invite you to join me in this knowing for yourself is that the next best idea opportunity person place or thing that is the highest and most pristine of opportunity for myself for you to step through and into whatever it is for me to put down so that I may be more available to life whether it be a, an old memory or a, a resentment or an experience that was less than life-affirming, whatever it may be, my connection to that in this moment, I direct this infinite intelligence within myself at anything and everything that I am attached to in that memory to be eradicated and dissipated. And so I'm, I'm about the business of doing my own house cleaning, my own spiritual house cleaning to make myself available to the newness of life. I support that and affirm that for myself and I know my word has power and I support that for you as well and our agreement has power and so this is a day of powerful wonderful agreement beautiful music celebration circulation service affirmative prayer which we are participating in now contemplation meditation and all the beautiful spiritual practices that we have available to us all the time for this I give thanks for this beautiful day, for this beautiful tradition, for a world, the idea of a world that works for everyone, that we are part of giving birth to. I am so grateful this day. Grateful for this community, for the teachers that have gone before us, for the generations and teachers that will come behind us. We hand that we have we hold the baton, and we are more than willing to hand that baton off to the right and perfect people. 
when the time is appropriate. But we know that we continue to do our work, precious, beautiful, and powerful, in the time that we have together, in the time we have in this life. For this I'm grateful, and together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. All right. So someone asked me at the first service, because I don't normally wear a tie, if I was going for a job interview after service today. I thought, that's not a bad idea. But, you know, we're here to mix things up a little bit. So I want to um, um, talk about the six tools for the spiritual journey today. And it's important, you know, on, um, and, and the reason I say it's important is because, you know, for any endeavor that we, we attempt to uh, participate in, there's preparation. Someone, I'm, I'm coming, I'm my, I, I, a lot of you don't know this, but I played hockey most of my youth in Minnesota. I've always said Minnesota's like the Florida of Canada. It kind of sticks down a little bit, and, but it's all about hockey and snow and horrible road conditions. So it's very much... Edmonton is just like really familiar for me to come here. And, oh, yeah, I know this. Um, but anyway, I'm coming out of retirement uh, after 35 years. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm sure there's a couple talks in it. Of um, uh, Someone has invited me to play in a league, and I made sure there's no checking and no slap shots and... Plenty of time to sit down and catch one's breath, so we'll see if that's true. Anyway, but we, so there's preparation in that, and one of the preparation things I'm doing right now is I'm buying pads for every part of my body, so, so, but for every journey we go on, there's prep, right? And so the spiritual journey, and so the agreement I want to strike with you right now is that I'm going to, I'm going to share these six, these six tools with you, but you have to promise me and promise yourself more than me that you are not going to feel like this is now an obligation, that you have to step into all six of them within the next 24 hours or something bad's going to happen. But what I want to do is have the discussion with you about how important they are and the impact they can have. On Wednesday, I went to the uh, Mental Health Foundation breakfast, and it was wonderful, and we have a number of our members that are involved with that um, very worthy cause, and it's around people. There's a lot of, there's, uh, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, that are afflicted by issues around mental health. And Kelly Rudy, the uh, former goalie, was there with his daughter, Caitlin. And they spoke, they did an interview with them. And she has been suffering with and challenged by mental health for a number of years. And so it was quite compelling and, and very moving. And, and uh, it was a beautiful uh, discussion. But she talked about that, that in her life, in her life journey, that, um, that ideas came along that she grabbed onto. For example, that she, she, Kelly said he noticed in her she would start blinking. And so finally there was a discussion and she felt that she came up with the idea that she was going blind. And so to help mitigate the blindness that was coming on her, she was blinking uh, frequently. When in fact there was, no, there, was no, there was nothing within her physiology that would suggest she was losing her sight. But yet it was an idea she grabbed onto. And then eventually, and so then, then it was uh, a withdrawing from life, not willing, wanting to participate in the things that she loved because there was this sense of fear around it or danger. And so her whole life became consumed by anxiety. And so, and, th- and through this process of, of, of uh, treatment, uh, she was able to step back into life a little more effectively and more uh, fully. And it's ongoing. It's ongoing. Like Kelly said, we thought it would take a month to get her back tracking once we made the diagnosis and got her in with the right people, and it's still ongoing. 
But she shared her story, and I thought about that and how prevalent that can be in our own lives to varying degrees. And I, I was um, looking through the Living the Science of Mind by Dr. Ernest Holmes, is our founder. It's a wonderful book that I go to many times when I'm looking for ideas around uh, discussion. And on page 376, he, he, it's a short, there's short uh, paragraph, or, uh, um, chapters in here about different ideas. But it's entitled Living Without Fear. Because so much of life, so much of what we're, we're, we're conditioned to respond to in life is this idea of fear. That has been my experience. When I read the newspaper, when I see things on the news, there's a lot of fear around it. That there's, there won't be enough of this, there won't be enough of that. That this is the condition. And, 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 and so there's you know, uh, a lot of things to be concerned about to manage, to manage life. And it's not that we've, we run through life with rose-colored glasses on. But how much rent does fear rent have... How much influence does fear have in our own thinking, and our own makeup? And if we carry it out to the nth degree, we can very much look like Kelly Rudy's daughter. We don't even want to go outside and, and participate in life anymore. So Holmes says this. He said, fear is the great enemy of humanity. It is impossible for a person to do their best filled with anxiety. We are speaking about morbid fear, the type of fear that devitalizes us mentally, emotionally, physically. Perhaps, and I'll skip down a few paragraphs, perhaps this is why Jesus laid such great stress on our need for faith and why he told his followers they should not be afraid of what was going to happen tomorrow, but rather that we should live today in a sense of confidence, peace, and joyful expectancy. Confidence, peace, joyful expectancy. Confidence, peace, joyful expectancy. And it seems so simple. And I love those words. I love those qualities. That's for me. When I see that, when I hear that, confidence, peace, joyful expectancy. When tomorrow comes, it will take care of itself. Today is the only day in which we can live. For when tomorrow comes, it will be another today. And so on, all through eternity. But unless we do live without fear today, we shall dread tomorrow. Isn't that true? That if we have fear today, we will bring that fear most likely with us tomorrow. And those who live in the dread of tomorrow generally live in the morbid thoughts of what happened yesterday. Their minds are filled with things that were unpleasant in their previous experience, and the unhappy events that they fear will transpire in the future. The present day in which they live is robbed of all peace and joy and becomes a torture chamber sandwiched between yesterday and tomorrow. So anyway, if we look at that opportunity, and fear is that opportunity, then what I, I find more interesting and compelling in my life is I want to live in the joy and the peace and the expectancy of tomorrow. That's why there's a big banner up there that says something wonderful is happening here. And what spiritual practice does, why we have spiritual practice, why we do what we do here, why we get together on a Sunday and why we offer our classes and why we have our practitioners that will help uh, support one another in, in uh, giving birth to newness in our lives is because when we leave the doors of this place, there's a lot of influences that would say that, that you really need to be cautious and there's things to fear. And there's a difference between being mindful and discerning and being in judgment um, about life and in fear of life. So the practices that we have in order to... the When we step up in life in our, in our um, spiritually... In life, we have to, I believe, my journey has been, 
and I think for most of us it's true, is that we need practices in our lives that continue to bring us back to the truth of our being, which is that we are divine, that we are all spirit incarnate, having this earthly experience. And, and that includes having our hearts broken and having an unexpected disappointment and having health challenges and relationship challenges. All of that stuff is part of life. So it's not that, that we're going we're gonna to pray ourselves up or we're, we're going to pray over those things, but it's about bringing a consciousness and awareness of the truth of our being to it so that when it does happen, it doesn't force us back into a closet somewhere so we hide or we give up. It's a continuation of understanding this is for me. Everything that shows up in my life is for me. Everything that happens in my life is a direct result of my consciousness. And, some of, and much of my consciousness is at a deep level of understanding. And so my opportunity when things are showing up in my life that aren't working well is to be able to look in my own consciousness and say, what is the, what is the, the, the core belief I have about this? As, as Jesus said, it is done unto us as we believe. The Buddha said, all that we are, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. The Buddha said this long before Jesus showed up. And so what it is, is then it's not about we've done something wrong when something bad happens to us in our lives that we disappoint us. It's simply a reflection of consciousness. And when we have the perspective to say, wow, this pattern keeps showing up in my life and I need to dig down in my own awareness and figure out what it is. And one of the ways that we're better able to do that is when we have consistent practice, when the, t- the tools we have in our life support us in allowing that awareness to come forward. That's why we go to workshops. That's why we have classes. You watch the awarenesses bubble up for people and the things, and wow, I never realized the connection between my belief system and that experience, but there it is. So the first practice I want to talk about a bit is, is meditation. And meditation, for many people, I know it's a challenge, but what meditation does, and I've watched this over and over again with people that come to the teaching, and as soon as, and like the first foundations class, stuff starts happening for people. Good stuff starts happening. They start using affirmative prayer, and all of a sudden, good stuff's happening. And then after, and then pretty soon the honeymoon starts to end. And all of a sudden, this, the old stuff starts showing up again. And then so then they take the tool of affirmative prayer, and they start praying harder and harder and harder which is sort of not the place to go, but that's what we do. We got a, a tool, we're gonna use it, and we're gonna use it, and I'm just not praying hard enough. And, and, and what ha- so then we try to pray over what's happening, which then becomes spiritual bypass, be- that then becomes denial. So when we have a practice of contemplation and meditation, we get a chance to sit with our thoughts and see what's bubbling up for us. And many times it's really uncomfortable, like uh, Chris Tylan shared last week, sitting alone in his own consciousness in meditation for five minutes was torture. But see, those thoughts are always running through our head. So when we start to sit in meditation, there's a lot of busyness in the mind, but what happens when we start to sit in that is we become more acutely aware of it. So it's not that it's just happening because we started to meditate. It's been happening all the time. All of a sudden, we slow down. We start to have the experience. So meditation can be very, very beneficial. I mean, the health benefits of meditation are, are you know, endless. But, it, but meditation is, what it does is it allows us to develop the strength and the spiritual stamina so that we can deal more effectively with the more complex issues of our life. So we have an awareness that we bring to it so that when life comes at us and it can feel overwhelming, we have a perspective to realize, well, this is just more life coming at me. And I've already had such horrific things coming at me in my own thinking while I sat in my meditation chair, perhaps, that here's more of the same. And what I know also is that this, I'm not stuck in this, that every time I bring things up in my own awareness, it dissipates it a bit more. 
that consciousness is so powerful that when we bring discordant ideas into our awareness, every time we bring them into the light of awareness, they dissipate a bit. But it might take a while. It's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a sprint. There's several types of meditation. I'm going to name them, but I'm not going to flesh them out because I just don't have the, the, uh, the appropriate time and space to do that today. But there's mindful meditation, being aware of what's going on, being aware of the thoughts, some of what I've just referenced to. Spiritual meditation, which is more of a contemplation and, and a, a dialogue of listening to that, that inner guidance, in a sense. There's focused meditation, where you have a, a, a music or an object or a candle or a mantra or a thought. My first form of meditation was transcendental meditation back in the, the uh, early 80s, I think it was. Did it for 10 years. Probably saved my life in terms of what I was looking for. And there were a lot of, in, in, the, in the environment I was raised in, I was told that to do that was, I would go to hell doing that. But I was in so much pain, I said, well, you know what, I'm already in hell, I might as well try meditation. There's movement meditation, which is what the labyrinth is. There's some of us that love to move. Some of, it's a walk in nature. You know, there's a, I, we, Laura, Laura and I recently moved down into the river valley there, and there's a trail in front of us, and the people are going through it constantly, back and forth. And just to watch them is a meditation. The, the labyrinth is a, a moving meditation. And then there's mantra meditation, chanting, or the silent, uh, the silent mantra, or the om. But, but all of them, you know, you have a, your choice. But meditation can be valuable, and even five minutes of quiet time throughout the day. You know, I, I, I kind of chuckle. We have this one-minute prayer after service. So how many minutes are there in a day? 24 times uh, 60, whatever that comes out to. But it's quite a few minutes. And so here we are, spiritual community, saying, and if you have 60 seconds in your life to align yourself with your higher purpose in the presence and if you can carve it out of their, your busy day of worry and doing things, just come on up for one minute and we'll pray with you. It's like, okay. You know, I think what we should want to be able to do in my own life, what I want to be able to do is have that one minute a day where I pull up all the worry and concern and I process all of it really quick and go, good, no, put that down. Because I know the higher intelligence within me is going to help me handle that and the awarenesses I need and the presence I need to move through my life most effectively despite what it looks like are here all the time. And so when I start to get scared, what practices do I have in my life that bring me back to the truth of my being? Because then what happens is spirit lives deeper and deeper and deeper in us, and that's what practice is for. And then we walk by faith, not by sight. So when you look out in the world and you see people walking by sight, everything that comes along is a distraction and a threat for the most part. Oh, we've got to fix that. We've got to take care of that. I mean, just look at the... I've been here 10 years, and I've watched this city explode. With, with newness. It's the nature of spirit. That art museum downtown is just beautiful to, to look at. And all the new wonderful things that are showing up. Where does the money come from? I mean, we've got a new election coming up, and I, I don't know who I'm voting for, but I know there's an election coming up. And a lot of discussions, where's the money going to come from? i got a secret for you. The money, don't tell anybody this. Okay, this is between you and I. The money is going to come from wherever it is right now. It's the only place you can come from. But people tell you there's not enough. We can't do that. Okay. I, you know, I don't have to argue that. I just, I'm not going to agree with them. But I hear what you're saying. It doesn't represent my position. 
If we care so deeply about something and it's important and it's alignment, see, if we're living in alignment with our true self, then, then these decisions become easier and easier and easier because you just know. It's like we're not in this alone. This is a greater good. We get to leave a legacy. And we either leave a legacy of worry and fear and destruction and lack and limitation and greed, or we leave a legacy that says, you know what, we are spiritual in nature. And anything that we put our minds to individually and collectively that is in alignment with the greatest good and the greatest beauty. See, God looks like beauty and God feels like joy. People come to this teaching and all of a sudden they're praying. They go, I don't know who I'm praying to anymore. I'm not praying to Jesus anymore. Our prayer work is not to influence anything out there. It's to influence our own consciousness so that that which we long to experience has a place to show up. But if I'm in lack consciousness that there's not enough and I'm praying for money to drop into my lap, as long as lack consciousness, as long as the attitude of lack is alive in my life, there will never be enough, despite what shows up. And so my work is not fixing it out there. I've got to do the hard work and look at my own life and how I am limiting my own belief system. And that, that, I don't like that. I want to point fingers and blame everybody else. Isn't that much easier? Yeah. So much easier to say, there's not enough. I'm not voting for that guy. He's crazy. I'm going to raise my taxes. <sighs> and I'm not, I'm not for raising the taxes. All I'm saying is, there's enough. There's enough. And when, you know, when the right ideas show up, and we're clear in our own being, when we're not in lack and victim consciousness, it's so easy to, to capture that momentum. And then we have a perspective about what's precious and important. So the second piece of this that I think is so important is education. Education, education, education. Because when we're educated, when we have the knowledge, when we understand our spiritual nature, and it's what's so beautiful about our community, it's not just that we have blind faith. It's not just that we pray that things are going to work out. We go to work in our own consciousness and what that requires is information. It requires a bit of time in meditation to say, what is alive in me that is creating such discord? And, and, and what, is it this, what is the experience I'm seeking? Is it, really, is it really wax of money in my life or is it this sense of freedom and abundance? As Jesus said, you know what, today, do today. And tomorrow is tomorrow. T- tomorrow will take care of itself. And when we live in that kind of freedom, it's very interesting. But my experience has been then what's required and necessary has a tendency to show up. But when I'm in fear and lack and limitation about today, I carry that into tomorrow. And then my, my spiritual practice used to be let's work harder and harder and harder and sell more work. And all that brought me to was to my knees energetically. So whether it didn't matter what came in, I was always broke. Because I was in the consciousness of broke. And then tell you, we'll do the work in consciousness. That's why the work is so important. And see, that's why I've been, so, I've been so adamant within this community and with our leadership, with our practitioners and ministers and with our board. It's like when we cure, when we heal lack consciousness, anything is possible. Because there's enough. But when we walk by sight and we look around and you look at the bottom line and the numbers, like, there's not enough. We can't do that. Oh my gosh. What are we going to do? Let's keep the lights off on Sunday. It's like, no. It's not what we teach. Come on. I know another church I can go to and do that. And according to them, they're the only ones that are going to heaven. And I don't want to hang out with those guys for eternity. God forbid. That's frightening, isn't it? I remember when the priest got up and said that. 
we're the only ones going. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> really? You know, you're 12 years old. You're checking out the 12-year-old girls in the congregation, and there's not one that's really, you know, lining up. It's like, oh, my gosh. Wow, I guess I am going to be a priest. All right. The education. The great teachers believe in the growth of the intellect and talent. The great teachers believe in the growth of the intellect and the talent. And they are fascinated with the process of learning. I love our teaching because it is lifelong learning. This is a wonderful book. I talked about it last week called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And I'm going to read you a short little story here. And I'm going to try and get through this without getting too emotional because it always chokes me up a little bit. Her name was Marva Collins. She taught Marva Collins. And she taught Chicago children who had been judged and discarded. For many, her classroom was their last stop. One boy had been in and out of 13 schools in four years. One stabbed children with pencils and had been thrown out of a small mental health center. One eight-year-old would remove the blades from the pencil sharpener and cut up his classmates' coats, hats, gloves, and scarves. One child referred to killing himself in almost every sentence. One hit another student with a hammer on his first day. These children hadn't learned much in school, but everybody knew it. Everybody knew it was their own fault, blaming the kids, everyone but Collins. When 60 Minutes did a segment on Collins' classroom, Morley Safer tried his best to get a child to say he didn't like the school. So Morley said, well, it's so hard here. There's, there's no recess. There's no gym. They work you all day. You only have 40 minutes for lunch. Why do you like this? It's just too hard. And the student replied, that's why I like it, because it makes your brains bigger. Chicago Sun-Times writer Zay Smith interviewed one of the children. We do hard things here. They fill your brain. As Collins looked back on what she got started, she says, I have always been fascinated with learning, with the process of discovering something new, and it was exciting to share in the discoveries made by my students. On the first day of school, she always promised her students, all students, that they would learn they would learn. And she forged a contract with them. She came into a covenant with these kids that have been discarded. You're going to learn. I know most of you can't spell your name. You don't know the alphabet. You don't know how to read. You don't know homonyms or how to syllabate. I promise you that you will, and none of you has ever failed. School may have failed you. Well, goodbye to failure. Goodbye to failure, children. Welcome to success. You will, read, you will read hard books in here, and you will understand what you read, and you will write every day. But you must help me to help you. And if you don't give anything, don't expect anything. Success is not coming to you. You must come for it. It's so, it just, it's, it's so beautiful, it's such a high standard. Marvis Collins, yeah. Well, I agree. Success is not coming to you. You must come to it. Spirituality, a deepening of walking on this planet in, by, by faith, not by sight, doesn't just drop in our laps. It requires work. It requires hard work. It requires having spiritual practice. I wish it were different, but I know in my own life, I've gotten lazy at times. And then my life starts to backslide into what used to not work for me because it's so familiar because I'm tripwired for that. We all are. We get lazy. We want to go to sleep. Oh, I'd love to go back to sleep. 
Love was so much, life was so much easier when I didn't know who I was. But it's not in our best interest, anyone's. I just love this lady. Her joy, see her joy, and that's what's so important. Our jo- where's our joy? I love being part of this community and, and, and being stretched and asked to grow in ways I never even expected. And to hold a high standard. I've, I, and I've held people accountable. People have stepped up in leadership and they've looked at me and said, no, I'm not doing that. And then I said, well, then you don't get to be here anymore. And you know what? My personality, my ego, that part of me that wants everybody to love me, that hurts. It's hard. But I think that I do a disservice to this community and our movement by pandering and enabling somebody in what doesn't work for them. And so if we're not willing to step up and do the work, I can't force anybody. But the opportunity is for all of us to dive deep and do our examination, do our spiritual practice and stuff that's showing up that allows us to say to ourselves, there's not enough, that gets to go. And and we're all going to do the work. And I've got to tell you, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do, to stand here. And people say, where did so-and-so go? And I can't tell them. I'm going to say, well, they decided to go somewhere else. This is inappropriate for me to give details. But what I'm saying is when you, I, want, I want to stand with people that are committed to their own spiritual transformation, evolution. Because I'm, I'm committed to that for myself. And I just look at the world. I look at all the problems in the world. And I know that what I want to be is I want to be part of the solution, not part of the continuing problem. Her joy is in her students' learning was enormous. And as they changed from children who arrived with toughened faces and glassed over eyes to children who were beginning to brim with enthusiasm, she told them, I don't know what St. Peter has planned for me, but you children are giving me my heaven on earth. Isn't that beautiful? This is what we teach, see? It's not about earning heaven. Heaven is today. Heaven is a state of being. It's a state of consciousness. So when we have the education and awareness about it, how can I shift and change? What must I become to be part of this, this solution? So education, meditation, education, circulation. Jack LaLanne, did you know, Jack, do you remember Jack LaLanne used to run around in that little suit, he had a little jumpsuit on all the time before jumpsuits were popular, and he was always black and white where I grew up, and he was always doing push-ups and talking about things. Jack was a member of the Redondo Beach Center for Spiritual Living, or the Religious Science Church. He was good buddies with Dr. Frank Richelieu. And in fact, when Richelieu retired, Jack came in and did one of the speeches to, to uh, honor him. And, um, but Jack said this, he said, exercise is a catalyst. Exercise is a catalyst. That's what makes everything happen. Your digestion, your elimination, your sex life, your hair, your skin, everything about you depends on circulation. So wouldn't it be true about that for our spiritual life as well? It's about circulation. It's about circulation of our, our, our good in our lives, the, the qualities that are affirming so that we show up wherever we are and we're a lifter upper. We're a positive aspect so that when you walk into whatever you walk into on a repeated basis, they don't all run to the back room till you leave. <laughs> that you add value wherever you go. That you are so in tune with who you are uh, abundantly that you have enough to share wherever you feel you want to share your good. Whether it be money, spirituality, emotional support, service. Service is the next one. Fourth was Service. Being of service, this whole place is based on service. People coming in and serving as ushers back at the tables. We've got people up in our sound booth, our musicians. Believe me, they can, they can do a lot better financially than being here, and yet they're called here 
It's their ministry. Service, Buckminster Fuller, an amazing guy. Bucky was the guy that invented the geodesic dome. He invented the geodesic dome, and you see him around, and there's probably a few in Edmonton, but what happened in his life, he lost his job, he had a big position, and his daughter Alexandra died in 1922 from complications from polio and spinal meningitis. And he took it very personally because they lived in a very drafty home in Chicago. And it motivated him to develop this cost-effective, safe, warm environment for homes. Isn't it amazing how tragedy will inspire people to do something that changes the world? And so he had a vision, and, and he got so depressed. He stood at the, the shores of um, he should have stood at the shores of of Lake Michigan, and he wanted to kill himself. He talked about this, and then he heard a voice, and the voice said to him, and, and so here's the here's all of a sudden this this voice shows up for him at his his. He's surrendered everything. He's just ready to give up. He's so depressed about his daughter's death. He's lost his job. He's been, he's been thrown away. And this is what he heard. He said, from now on, you need never await temporal attestation to your thought, which is affirmation. You never need await temporal affirmation to your thought. You think the truth. You do not have the right to eliminate yourself. You do not belong to you. You belong to the universe, and your significance will remain forever obscure to you. But you may assume that you are fulfilling your role if you apply yourself to converting your experiences to the highest advantage of others. So he reached a point in his life of such despair, he realized that his life was no longer his own. His life belonged to the universe, or God, or the divine, or whatever, or spirit, or whatever you want to call it. But it was this transformation that brought him to this, and then he devoted his life to the research and to being an innovator and a thinker outside the box that brought so many wonderful uh, discoveries to the world, to be of service. And so for all of us to be of service, it's not something we do here, all, uh, just here for an hour or two. It's in our lives when the perspective of I'm here not only to support the highest and greatest good for my family and those I love, but for everybody. We become a contagion for good. You know, so many people, Reverend Connie um, Phelps, going to Kenya, their ministry. Did a little presentation last Saturday, um, um, Sunday night, taking her ministry there. And it's just an example of one. But how many wonderful things, the people at the Mental Health Foundation, all these volunteers that show up to raise funds, they raised over $265,000 in like an hour. Yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough. You know, I said that the Winsboro a year, year and a half ago, I said that I thought the miracle was when they said Jesus fed the, the, the multitudes with five fish and six loaves of bread. I said probably the miracle was there that he spoke in such a compassionate way, it cracked their hearts open, and the food that they carried with them, everybody shared. That would be more of a miracle than him just going like that a bunch of times and demonstrating a bunch of food and uh, fish and, and loaves, in my opinion. But... So service is such a vitally important part. The next practice is affirmative prayer. And affirmative prayer we teach in all of our classes, and it's a way of understanding. First of all, it's a way of preparing ourselves for prayer, setting an intention. It's what practitioners do. It's what I do. We do an opening affirmative prayer when we do this. We set an intention for why we're coming together. It's an invocation. We recognize spirit, and when we recognize it and call it forth in our experience, it's not because it's not there. It's just that we become more aware of it. And then we realize and claim that life is my life, which lifts us up and is transformative. 
It's wonderful, it's powerful, and it comes from all the, the ancient teachings. And Holmes was a, a genius at, at, at filtering that out and finding the commonality and, and the potency of prayer. But I'm going to tell you a little trick about affirmative prayer, which I think is really valuable. If you're doing affirmative prayer on your own, and you're, you're really longing to have a different experience with something that you've never had in your life before, pray in the moment for something that you already have. Pick something that you have. If you have a wonderful car that you love or a place to live or a favorite chair at home, it doesn't have to be big and it can be whatever because what it'll do is it'll put you, you may have an icon within your, in your spiritual practice that you adore or a memory. And so you put yourself in the consciousness of that experience because you've already demonstrated it. You already have the consciousness for that. And then what you do is you take the new idea and you bring that vibration of the most high and place it upon that idea. Because what's important in our prayer work is what we are when we're praying. It is the consciousness upon the words that we put upon, upon the situation and the idea and call it forth. But many times when we're praying for something that seems unattainable, it's hard to, to generate the activity around it, the belief around it. But all of us have demonstrated something beautiful. So use that as a starting point and then build that, build the gratitude and appreciation. Go, wow, I've done this, this is wonderful. I remember as a, as a carpenter in L.A. and I had this opportunity to do this great big job bigger than anything I've ever done and I got so nervous and worried about it and it was probably a good thing. I passed on it and I went to see my practitioner and I said, no, I feel like I've let myself down. I feel like I got scared and I didn't step into this. And they said to me, you've already demonstrated the consciousness to bring this into your experience. And I thought, oh. Because I was in the mindset opportunity only knocks once. When I have another 20 minutes, I'll tell you the story about Opernocity, which is one of my favorite jokes of all time, but it's about a 20-minute joke, so I won't. But this idea of that opportunity only knocks once. Not true. Dr. Bitzer used to say opportunities are like buses. They come by every 15 minutes. Oh. See, I thought I was going to get off easy. Prove I was incapable. I'd go do something else. Find a new career. And the last piece... The last piece I want to share with you is celebration. So what I would, I'm going to ask Dwayne up in the, um, celebration is about the joy of life. It's about celebrating the things we have, putting ourselves into gratitude, the joy of being together, these beautiful musicians, this beautiful community, your beautiful life, the beauty that you express and experience and continue to grow and nurture. We do it through music. We do it through humor. We do it through our, our, our vitality of life. So Dwayne, you want to put that up? This is one of my favorite guys on the planet, Steve Martin, and he wrote a book, he wrote a, a song, maybe you've seen it, it's called Atheist Ain't Got No Song, <laughs> and it's an example of celebration, and it's brilliantly done, and it's going to be coming up, there it is. Thank you. You know, religious people have such beautiful music and art, and atheists really have nothing. <laughs> Until now. This is the entire atheist hymnal right here. A little song called Atheists Don't Have No Songs. Christians have, Christians have their hymns and pages. Hymns and pages. Habanagilas for the Jews. For the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Romantics play, Romantics play Claire de Lune, Claire de Lune, born again, sing he is risen, 
But no one ever wrote a tune Wrote a tune For godless existentialism For atheists There's no good news They'll never sing A song of faith In their songs They have a rule The he is always lowercase The he is always lowercase some folks sing a Bach and Tata, Bach and Tata. Lutherans get Christmas trees, atheist songs add up to nada, up to nada. But they do, they do have Sundays free, have Sundays free. Pentecostals sing, Pentecostals sing, they sing to heaven, sing to heaven. Gothics had the Book of Scrolls. Numerologists count, count, they count to seven, count to seven. Atheists have rock and roll. <laughs> For atheists, there's no good news. They'll never sing a song of faith. In their songs, they have a rule. The he is always lowercase. The he is always lowercase. Atheists. Christians have, have their hymns and pages, hymns and pages. Havanagilas for the Jews, for the Jews. Baptists have the Rock of Ages, Rock of Ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Catholics dress up for mass and listen to Gregorian chants. Atheists just take a pass, watch football in their underpants. Watch football in their underpants. Atheist. Atheist. Don't have no songs. Don't have no songs. So isn't it nice that we have music? God looks like beauty, God feels like joy. So when we come together and we celebrate life, we celebrate our humanity, we celebrate, we laugh, we hug, we cry together. You know, it's such a powerful tool. As Holmes said, yesterday is forever past, we cannot relive it. And no matter how we may regret what happened yesterday, it is impossible actually to live it over again. But too often in the imagination, we do live it over again and again. And in so doing, bring all our misery of yesterday into today. And so spiritual practice, having a, an ability to step back and understand that there may be something for us to know here. And maybe we find it through meditation or contemplation or, or, or getting out of ourselves and being of service. Or finding ways to circulate our good or finding ways to celebrate life. All of these practices that we have in our tool bag pre prepare us better for the journey. And we're better able to navigate our way through this life. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be part of. There's such great joy in watching people's lives be transformed. And so I just thank you for your consciousness. I thank you for your gifts to this community and to the world and the good that you spread wherever you go. And so it is.
Thank you.